The Shaggy Jenkins Show. We have to make Russia great again. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Welcome to it. Uh, If you've never seen it before, oh God, brace yourselves. We're going to be going through today's headlines with, of course, um, one of our lovely correspondence. Before we get to that, uh, if you'd like to know anything about the show, as always, I encourage you to go check us out on our website, shaggyjenkins.com, or hey, follow us wherever fine social media is trolled by Russians for campaign results early. Uh, you can do that at Shaggy Live. Uh, joining me from the windy city of Chicago, and uh, the only reason I know it's windy is because he's got a big booming voice that moves the air. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome up for the magnanimous one. It is St. Bass. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, thank you, Shaggy. You have overcome, for I am here. You only say these things because it's true. So uh, I thank you again for the very heavy and very heavily paid comments. Yeah, well, let's get into some comments that people did not pay for this week. Or, oh right. God, they're going to be paying for for a while. All right. Now, for the longest time, we've been following multiple lawsuits against the president. And this week we saw that the press through PEN America was actually going ahead with a lawsuit of their own against the president, uh, basically saying that some of the stuff that he did in his speeches and Twitter accounts amounted to slander and libel against a free and open media. But one of the cases that we've been following behind the scenes for the longest time ever has been this interaction that Trump has had with one adult actress named Stormy Daniels. Now, Here's the thing. Through her attorney, Michael Avenetti, uh, Avenetti uh, they've kind of filed a couple of different lawsuits. One having to do with a non-disclosure agreement and another one having to do with Trump basically talking smack online. And that, that trial got a decision on Monday. Chris, you, you kind of want to surmise where this went? Well, pretty much what happened was, as you know, as you said, we've been covering this case since day one when it comes to Stormy Daniels, her attorney, Michael Avenetti, and the president. And so now the U.S. District Court Judge S. James Otero indicated during arguments last month that he believed that the uh, Trump tweet appeared to be protected speech. Uh, Now, this goes back to the alleged allegations of a sexual encounter between Trump uh, Trump and her 12 years ago. Um, The thing about what struck me as odd is that you have someone who's protected, meaning the president, by First Amendment, yet he doesn't want anybody else to have the First Amendment. Hmm. So it's classic, you know, double standard when it comes to him, because as we know, it's all about him and the rest of us are mere peons. So when the district court judge had the ruling about this on Monday, I, I had to believe that the fix was in. That's always been my hashtag when it comes to situations like this because he is the president, he is protected. And when you had that type of Teflon surroundings around you, take advantage of it. Now, if it was Don Trump by himself, Donald Trump by himself, you would probably hear a different situation unless he paid off the, the judge. In this situation, because of who he is in his stature, it goes this direction. I do admire Avenetti for uh, trying to appeal this case, but at the same time, I would say, okay, it could be obviously a victory for the president, but look at all the negative press 
that was geared towards the president prior to that. So if your job was to do that, your job was completed. Yeah, and that's just it, because when it comes to this one case being out of the way, Trump is, of course, on a victory lap. He was on uh, Twitter uh, basically saying, ha, look at me, I beat her. And because I defeated her, I can basically use terms like uh, a horse face to describe her. Now, Chris, I'm just going to throw this out there. Is it very becoming of a president the way he acts sometimes? You and I both know that it's not. Uh, He has single-handedly destroyed how it is to comport oneself when you're the president of the United States of America. And I said this before on many shows. We said it before on your show as well. Children are watching this man. Children pay close attention to what people have behavior patterns. So I would never say, for example, to my seven-year-old nephew, Caleb, uh, don't be the president when it comes to him as an example. Not at all. In Mm. fact, turn your direction and don't look and don't listen. Well, this is it, because Donald Trump has consistently been shown to be the leader of a really weird pack of people. And um, I'm going to transition out of this story to kind of talking about the culture that he's immersed himself in. Uh, Not Mm. too long, crying John Boehner. You remember him? He used to be the uh, used to be the uh, speaker of the House. And he was, uh, you know basically one of those guys that like to cry on camera a lot. Well, here lately, uh, the tears have stopped and the gloves are off. It seems that Boehner has started to uh, talk about his former colleagues within the United States House of Representatives. And, um, okay, Chris, big shocker, or is it? He says, you have a few good people in there, but you also have some Nazis. And I think he means actual, literal Nazis. What do you think? You know what? It wouldn't surprise me a bit. Let's go back to the term Nazi. Now, we've made fun of it over the years as society, or if you're a Seinfeld fan, of course, you get the soup Nazi, no soup for you, and things of that nature. Okay, fine. But we're talking about the Third Reich. We're talking about the German Empire that wanted to goose step all over the world, not just take over and have a certain mentality for Germany, the whole world it wanted to take over at one point. It was the master plan with the master race. When you say things like that, it has very heavy connotations and definition to it. So when you say that there are Nazis in Congress, you got to take that seriously. You just can't shrug it, put it under the door and sweep it off. That's that's a serious uh, allegation right there. Yeah. Now, this is the thing, though, because Boehner was in the White House, or at least in D.C., during the time that we know that there was kind of an upsurgence, a a new, almost proto-populism kind of movement in what was called the Tea Party. And, And as such, the Tea Party upset an already conservative Boehner by going even more towards the populism, nationalism that, that, that he tried to keep away from. With his comments now, though, it does seem that Boehner is saying not only did those factions already exist in Washington, guys, they're not going anywhere. They're entrenched. Well, see, that goes back to the timeline of getting into, say, you know, Trump supporters or, or the Trump GOP. 
And we all had a conversation about this before, about the rumblings of the GOP, traditional GOP and Trump GOP. It was Trump himself that said years ago, if I ever run for the presidency, I'll become a Republican because they're stupid. That was a direct quote from then uh, before pre-presidential Trump. So when you look at the GOP for years, trying to search for a new identity. They've always come off mean-spirited on the national front, my way or the highway, angry white men, uh, get off my lawn, you kids mentality, but they tried to find some new voice. They thought the Tea Party was it, but the Tea Party became more disruptive than they were. And now you fast forward into the Trump GOP that's mixed along with that. It's just too many, too many cooks in the kitchen. Are you going to be one identity and not multiple identities because it confuses everybody? You know, one of the things that really gets me about this whole Tea Party movement is they eventually kind of carried over into the alt-right. And when we talk about the alt-right, we, we talk about characters like Steve Bannon, who, as leader of the publication of Breitbart, said that his his publication definitively was the voice of the alt-right. So with everything that is kind of being connected here with John Boehner's comments about actual Nazis in Washington, D.C., and the behavior that we've seen as a whole, not only from Trump Republicans, not regular Republicans, and Trump himself. Chris, I got to ask you, why is nobody really sounding the alarms here? Because nobody cares. I, I can't make it more plain than that. When you, when you, once again, use terminology like, okay, let's go, for example, that Boehner says this as a description to call them Nazis. It still should cause for alarm. Who goes around using that term unless you mean it? You cannot sleep on this, but nobody cares. Why? Because Trump has done, an, as far as I'm concerned, an evil, masterful job of making people not caring be popular, to be a bully to be popular, to be just not even forthright or trying to care for your fellow human being to be popular. These people were always laying low always been in the United States of America, but now here's come the beacon of what it is to be just someone who's ignorant and someone who says, you know what, it's okay to call somebody out by their name. It's okay to uh, tell somebody that you don't like them because of their race, their sex. It's okay to call 911 because someone brushed up against you. He has led the attack for this behavior to be more prevalent than ever before in our country. I'm going to ask you about John Boehner's role in all of this, not just Trump, but Boehner himself. When Boehner was going up against the Tea Party, a lot of people within the Republicans said that he did not kind of put his heels down and stick to his, his position as, as hard as he should have. And because Boehner didn't fight the Tea Party and the rise of the GOP populism hard enough, he's kind of partly responsible for where we're at now. Do you see any truth to that? I see some truth to that, but I think I, with Boehner, I think now stepping out of that situation and looking into it, you have a whole different lens. Because once you're entrenched, you can't see uh, that perspective because you're involved. Now that you're out of it and you've been, uh, say, debriefed, and you know, you're know you living your life in a different manner now, without associating with that, you have a different perspective. So I think, obviously, he was 
a catalyst involved. I think he tried to fight back as much as he could, but he only fights so much if he's just only one person or a small group of people, as they say, strength in numbers. Had it been a stronger strength in people siding with Boehner or getting behind his position, you probably had a bigger fight or a bigger tussle within the GOP. Now, here's something else i got to bring up, because there does seem to be a lot of kind of uh, <clears throat> monetary value in using strong language when you're releasing some sort of publication. And, and Boehner releasing this little, you know, <clears throat> missive about his life in D.C., is he doing the same thing that everybody else does, where he's trying to sensationalize things just a little bit, to get attention for sales. I mean, is that where we're at with this, or is this legitimate? Hey, guys, there's Nazis there. It could be a little bit of both. Uh, when you're a part of, and say in this, in this situation, being a part of a party, it goes back to the old thing about Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So now, once he's been removed from quote-unquote Vegas, he has a whole different lens, like I said, a whole different perspective. So it wouldn't surprise me if he is tipping the scale to say, you know what, there are people in there who have Nazi tendencies or real Nazis or described as people who uh, look forward to reigning Mein Kampf or anything dealing with Adolf Hitler. So we don't know that. It wouldn't surprise me if people use that as a playbook to go forward to where we are now in 2018. So going back to the whole monetary thing, yeah, of course, look, in, in the span of, say, well, I don't know, this whole year of the current administration, people who left, uh, people who were bounced, were able to get book deals, were able to go on talking head programs to hawk their books, they made a pretty penny out of it. Why? Because they were able to. Whether it was uh, Omarosa or uh, I could go on and on, you know, with um, various people. Well, they weren't there, there that long, so they, they did enough. I think the longest one was Omarosa for like maybe a year or so. And everybody else was there, what, average, what, uh, sometimes a month, you know, or sometimes uh, three to six months, which seems to be the revolving door of the Trump administration in the cabinet post. So, yeah, and you make the money while you can because you got to strike with the iron, it's hot, because in a temperature where we are right now, that's what's going on. It does seem that the temperature of things is getting a little bit hot. And I want to talk about a hot issue because you kind of just mentioned it. But this week was another example of white people calling the police on black people for just existing while being black or for alleged activities that they could have created because <gasps> they're different. I mean, okay, corner store Carolyn, you want to walk us through what happened here? Well, here's a woman who was at a store at a deli, and she claimed that a young man, a young boy, I should say, had brushed up against her and grabbed her bottom. And she got to a point where she was in a frenzy and a tizzy. She called 911. Uh, the boy's uh, name is uh, Jeremiah Harvey. The mother was there trying to uh, talk to the lady. Her name is uh, Teresa Klein. Uh, they go back and forth. And she is doing this because she believed that she was touched. Now, we all saw the video. If you didn't see it, you, when you view the surveillance video, Jeremiah's backpack brushed against her backside as he passed her in the store. Now, the video clearly says that, shows that, and Jeremiah's hands were in front of him when he passed her. When you have this 
abhorrent behavior that every time something happens to you or allegedly happens to you, you got to call 911. Now, people in any situation, the crowd, public area, brush up against each other all the time. Now, if it's sexual in nature, you could prove it, that's different. But this woman, like most of these other people, just go off the deep end. And they just do this. And once again, I reiterate, this was happening before social media. Social media is not catching up with this behavior that we see all over the place. Um, I give a perfect example. Years, years ago, before social media obviously was existing, my dad told me when I was about eight, nine years old, we're going to a store. So before going to the store, so I'm going to talk to you about something. And he told me that when you walk up in here, you're going to have people staring at you. And maybe the store detectives will stare at you or follow you. Why? Because you're black. And they'll follow me too. And that was a hard lesson to learn because all I want to do was to get some Cheetos and some, you know, cupcakes, whatever, but it didn't, it didn't matter. They thought I was going to steal it. In fact, that same day, my dad confronted the store manager and said, why are you having this man follow my son? You know, and he let him have it. You know, it's, and, but it's a, it's, a, it's a sad commentary, but it's true. This is the thing about this latest one, Corner Store Carol here, okay? The thing about uh, this story isn't so much the woman herself, but the guy that was filming her. Uh, look, here's the thing, and, and, and we got to admit, how quick are we coming up with nicknames for dumb cracker women lately? A very quick, fast, in a hurry. Yeah, I mean, they stamped that one on the video itself. Here's Corner Store Carolyn. <laughs> you know, then we had golf cart yeah. Gale, and I mean, right. real quick with these nicknames. So, uh, you know, white people, if you're not paying attention, the reason that we can come up with those nicknames so quickly is those nicknames have existed for decades before social media. <laughs> we just That's been right. waiting to, to get a camera so that we could say those. But about that camera, Chris, here's the thing. The gentleman that filmed this said, look. At the end of the day, what we need to do is to out this behavior more, to make this kind of stuff go viral. I gotta ask, because we've talked about it kind of at different varying levels for years, but how successful will social media be at the end of the day, helping people understand the racial inequality that exists in the United States? I think it would be strongly significant in time when you have, say, progressive people getting into office where they could make it more of a stronger law when it comes to videos and viral. Now, as you know, it's a state-by-state -state basis, but I think that the more we see it, it may take a whole, I would say, probably another 10 to 15 years, I could be wrong, just a guesstimation, uh, when you're looking at an obvious problem in our country. And another thing, you know, when you're wasting time calling 911, that call could be for something serious. Um, and we, and, and again, that takes a lot of research, a lot of data, a lot of man slash woman hours to do um, the, to do it justice, do and do it correctly. But I do believe in time, uh, law enforcement has to take this a little more seriously because there's no way that that young man Jeremiah should be addressing the press about the situation. Yeah. No. He should be at home. He, I mean, he should be, I mean, he should be a, a child living in this country. He shouldn't be doing this. Think about that. He's nine years old and he has been 
in multiple instances lately in front of a microphone, a camera, or a group of people just wanting to hear his story. Now, at nine years old, I could not imagine being tasked with having to once again answer for my entire community the we are doing nothing wrong scenario. But, but this is the interesting thing. On a television interview that the young man gave, when asked about Corner Store Carolyn and her apology where she basically said, I don't know this young man, but I'm very sorry. Uh, he, he basically says, I do not forgive her. And, and I know that we as parents try to teach our kids to be forgiving and stuff, but I'm, I'm going to throw this out here. Chris, I kind of agree with him. I don't think he should forgive this either. No, he should not. And that was, a you know, when he became a man in front of our eyes when he said that, and here's why. Because you're right, we teach our children to be forgiving, but also teach them what's right and what's wrong. This was wrong. You can't make it more wrong than what it is. He has, this woman has altered his life forever. He could be self-conscious walking to a store or even being around people, let alone white women at this point. It may affect him if you want to, uh, say, date uh, someone outside of his race. You never know. The psychological profile has not been described at this point, but obviously he's damaged. So for him to make that statement, I thought was very spot on. You know, and that's something, too, that when we talk to kids— Let's just be honest. When we talk to kids from communities of color versus kids from white communities, we tell them different things when it comes to their social interactions. In inner city communities, which by the way, inner city is kind of code word for that's where the black people live. Um, but It always has been. You're right, right. You know, I mean, let's just call a dog whistle what it is. But in these quote-unquote inner city schools, if you go there and you listen to how teachers talk to their students about authority, it's a different tone. It's a don't get shot, make sure that you're being very, very respectful, make sure that your hands, I mean, they tell them basically, look, you're a suspect the second that somebody authority looks at you. But if you go to the other schools, if you go to the schools that are primarily made up of Caucasian kids, the, the, the police are your friends. You can call them for anything. It's, it's kind of the, the world of two mentalities. But when it comes to this young boy, and this is where I'm taking this whole question here, he's nine years old, and he's already been labeled as kind of an enemy of the state by white people. How is this going to impact his behavior, not only towards the people in the white community, but police officers in general, Chris? You already have a target on your back because of the color of your skin. Now, this amplifies it times 10,000. And again, you don't need a pressure to be a nine-year-old young boy to go through this. And again, it's a, it's a damn shame that he's going through this. Now, let's look at the positive side of this. Maybe he can take this down the road and maybe he will get involved in civil rights. Maybe he wants to become a lawyer. Maybe he wants to become an agent of change in some way. Why? Because he went through it personally at a young age. So it could be a trajectory shift for him to go in that direction. We don't know. We're just speculating, obviously. I hope it will go in that direction. But at the same time, it could be, and once again, I'm no psychiatrist, but it can breed serious paranoia. Well, about that paranoia, because 
this is the question I gotta ask. Does it seem that white women are a little paranoid lately about all this? Well, some always have been. I mean, they uh, with, with certain white people. Let me reiterate: certain, not all, but certain white people. When it comes to white women, uh, they feel threatened. They feel that their life is in danger. They feel that anybody that doesn't look like them is out to get them. Uh, I'm going to be uh, robbed or brutalized or something like that because once again, that's a learned behavior. Somebody told them that, and they believe it. So they use their phones, obviously, call 911 or to call their friends, call their husband, call their friends, whatever, and then get protection because they fear that someone, even a nine-year-old boy, is doing wrong to them. So that's another uh, lay-on-the-chair psychiatrist profile, tell me more about your mother type conversation because something obviously is wrong somewhere. Well, I got to ask this just real quickly here, because the woman sure. said she wasn't calling 911 on just the boy. She said that the boy's mother went on the attack and said that she was a cop and that she was going to arrest her. Um, Chris, I've seen this lady stand behind her son while he's having to answer these questions. Does she look like the type that would instantly fly off the handle? Or are we once again talking about white perception of people of color's actions? No, it's a catch-22 because, again, you know, in the heat of the moment, you hear things differently, you see things differently. That's why, of course, obviously we have courts where we can decipher where somewhere in the middle lies the truth. And in a situation with a mother with a child and the child is being threatened or the child is obviously crying upset, you will go into, you know, super mode and you may say or do things that may be out of pocket in protection of your child. But in perception of what it is and everything's caught on video and it's gone viral, it, it, it displays what it is. Now, again, you can see the video, I can see the video, somebody else see the video, and probably get three different perspectives of that video. So it depends on your lens. So, but in situations like this, I agree go back, I agree and go back to our part of our conversation when it has to be documented. This has to be on file, it has to continue on, because if not, it'll constantly be their word versus my word and your word and everybody else. But if the word is the truth, as it is, we need documentation. Yeah, and that's just it. It's become to the point that no evidence, no case. Chris, we got to take a quick break. When we get back, let's talk a little bit about the disparaging difference between men and women in prison and a whole lot more as we go through the week in the review. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. Are you an agreeable person? You know, a nice guy? If so, a logical follow-up might be, how are your finances? 
And here's why. Agreeable people have lower savings. They have higher debt, and they're also more likely to go bankrupt or default on their loans. Sandra Matz is a computational social scientist at the Columbia Business School in New York City. And using a combination of questionnaires and bank data, she and her colleague Joe Gladstone found that people who score as more agreeable on personality tests have a better chance of ending up in dire financial straits, especially if they're low income to begin with. The researchers also combined personality data on millions of people in the U.S. and the U.K. with regional data on how many people were unable to pay their debts. And they found, again, that the nicer a county or local area's people on average, the worse their finances. Matz thinks one factor could be that agreeable people just don't care much about money. Maybe they pick up the tab more often or loan money when they can't afford to. They're generous to a fault. So how do you get them to wise up? So one way that we could actually kind of reframe this is saying, like, you don't care about money just for yourself, but care about it for your family. Care about it for the people that you love. Because if you mismanage your money, it's not just going to affect you, but it's also going to affect all the people around you that you care about and that you love deeply. Which might translate agreeable people's superpower, which is caring about other people, into better financial sense. The results are in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. So if Matz does succeed in teaching nice people to be more stingy, who's going to pick up the tab? Well, then it's like a matter of negotiating, right? Then it should just be more equally distributed. So if the agreeable person suddenly says, look, I can't pay all the time, I'm very happy to do that once in a while. But I also want you to kind of give something back because that's what makes a relationship a relationship and not a one-way street. Which might mean agreeable people need to get a little more comfortable having disagreeable conversations. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. News from the left and the right. From the guy a bit off-center and slightly out of his mind. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Welcome back. If you've never heard this show before, oh my God, you've been living under a rock or at least subject to bad radio programming. If you would like to check this show out on your local uh, affiliates, if that's Pacifica Radio, make sure you call them up and demand us by name, Shaggy Radio. Otherwise, hey, don't be afraid to follow us on Stitcher, Spotify, as well as our Patreon site, Just look for The Shaggy Jenkins Show. It's all hosted by a a crazy guy named me. Uh, You can find me on my website, shaggyjenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is trolled at Shaggy Live. Joining me from the city of Chicago, where, yeah, they haven't quite made up their mind yet how they feel about Kanye West. Uh, Please welcome back St. Chris Bass. Uh, Thank you very much. As far as Kanye West is concerned, uh... Uh, uh, let's go on with the program, please. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of things that aren't quite right, let's get into our news with kind of a story that I think has been bubbling under the headlines for a while. And, and Chris, it's going to take a little bit of a setup here. So actually, no, it's, it's not. If you are familiar with anything to do with prisoner rights, you'll know that the years 2017 and 2018 have been some of the largest organized prisoner protest in United States history. Now, all of the focus on those protests and the conditions that those protests are form under are sexually biased, Chris. You see, it seems that when we're talking about prisoners in the United States, we haven't really been talking about 
all of them. And thanks to a new study uh, put forth by NPR and a couple of other organizations, we're starting to get a, a, a solid picture of what's happening with women's prisons. And um, I'm just going to throw this out there. It's not looking too good, is it? No, it's not. Um, when you live in a world and a society where it's men-driven, women still are abused, they're raped, second-class citizens, even though women have made uh, great strides over the years and centuries, but still, even right to this day, you still have men with Neanderthal behavior patterns, and uh, they're able to keep the boot to the neck of women when it comes to um, women prisoners. And I think it's a, it's a shame because it's fast-growing in the now, population in this country. That's the thing, because we have to talk about different standards of behavior. Okay, so... Chris, let's say me and you are in prison. That means that somebody in the White House finally heard this show. Hi! Um, <laughs> but let's say me and you are in prison. And uh, me being the scrappy little guy, of course, I'm going to be a lot more mouthier than a guy like you, aren't I? I would say so. Yeah, I mean, it's always the little ones that are always the yapping ones. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to be the yapping guy, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to be running my mouth, trying to maintain some sort of air of toughness around all these other guys, and as I have interactions with, with prison guards, with other inmates and stuff, that type of behavior is just going to be seen as a part of my masculinity, isn't it? Well, of course, yeah, you have to get off the illusion that you're tough. You know, you don't want to be in a soap check. So you have to make sure that people buy into the fact that you're a tough guy. Well, when a woman does those exact same actions, when a woman goes through and does those exact same actions, she's usually punished a lot more harshly than a man. So here's the thing. If I use sarcasm... And a woman who's done the exact same crimes in the exact same situation uses the exact same sarcastic sentence. I will probably just get a shut up shaggy and she'll probably be sent to the shoe or solitary confinement. Why is it that women are treated differently for their use of sarcasm in prisons? Well, my guess is I wonder who is telling the guards there how to handle the women prisoners. So as you know, being a guard, you have to get, you know, training and uh, studying and, and things of that nature. So who's to say that whoever's in charge of training the security guards there in the prisons, the prison guards, to say that this has to happen, this is part of the rules, or use your own discretion? Again, we don't know. But if the type of behavior is obviously there, and uh, when NPR did the report and the analysis of the whole thing, there seems to be across the board uh, from state to state. So it's, it has to be a general rule book of how to treat or unfairly treat women prisoners. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's the thing, too. Um, I'm just going to kind of throw this out there. When you punish a male prisoner, okay, typically part of that punishment doesn't involve their own ability to be hygienic. One of the things that kind of struck me as weird is part of a female prisoner's punishment can include revocation of her ability to buy what is called sanitary napkins to us men, 
or maxi pads, tampons, yeah, the sanitary napkins that women need during their normal menstruation are denied to them as part of the punishment. Is that something that should be not in that whole cluster of things, Chris? No, it shouldn't. It's, well, again, whoever designed this playbook is very demonstrative in their behavior pattern because that's just basic hygiene. And also it's a health hazard and a health risk in that contained uh, confinement. So you would think that regardless of a person's behavior in the prisons, they have to have a way to cleanse themselves, a way to you know have those feminine products just on hygiene alone. For them to be denied that, you're going to uh, spread an uh, outbreak of diseases. Now, when it comes to these kind of diseases that you can get from not having uh, proper care during menstruation, we're talking everything from mild uh, kind of vaginal infections all the way up to stuff that could, well, permanently put you down. Chris, yeah. it seems so odd to me that as a society... We are so afraid of women that when it comes to their incarceration, and I'm just going to throw this out there, it seems like, according to this study, any little infraction on a, on a part of a woman leads to maximum, maximum punishment. There is no gray area. Why is it that society always treats women who do wrong more harshly than men? First of all, we don't hear about it. Uh, in society, we always hear about men being in prison. And yes, we know women being in prison too, but I think because we hear more about men incarceration than the, than the female, than, than women. So we're getting one side of the story. We're getting one side of when it comes to this. Um, if the women's side was equally as uh, in the press, in the media, as the men, then I think you hear more pushback and more people coming forward to protect the rights of women prisoners. Now, when it comes to protecting the rights of women's prisoners, because we can't get the full story, how hard has it actually been for advocacy groups to find out how damaging this behavior is? Well, probably very difficult. I mean, just speculation, obviously. I think that if they were to try to pursue it, maybe uh, the prisoners would give them uh, what we call cooking the books, uh, giving them some information that's probably not true uh, for them not to pursue it as much or give them a dead end, quote unquote, so that way they won't know the real story, the whole thing. So all these dead ends or all these uh, uh, pushback of uh, obviously pro obviously uh, that's a problem, you would think that would be met with more understanding. But since women, unfortunately, are getting just no rights whatsoever on GP in prison. Now, people say, okay, when they're in prison, they don't deserve any rights. Well, going back to my original point in this argument, just the fact about the whole feminine, feminine products and the fact that you don't want to spread diseases, that alone, if you are pro-prison, the last thing you need is for diseases to be spread in that environment. So again, just on that alone, other things that we had talked about should be a cause for alarm and for people to get involved. But if people don't know, then how can they react to it? Now, like I said, 2017 and 2018 was an example of the largest organized strike against, well, inhumane conditions within the prison system. But here's the thing. 
when the men went and protested, they were only, and here we go again, they were only kind of protesting for their own rights. When it comes to women's trying to protest for improved conditions in their, well, in their prisons, Chris, it seems that those women are less likely to organize for fear of all of the retaliation that we've talked about thus far. Yeah, I would say so. And, and just going back to the fact that uh, men in prison, well, look, you have systems in, 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 in prisons for men where, okay, yes, men going to have sex in prison. You know, people talk about it, we made fun of it. It's been in all types of jokes and I like that. But let's deal with the fact that you can spread diseases, going back to that point again. So they pass out condoms. So again, if they could do that for men, you could do that for women too. If you were on the same plane from the standpoint of what's right across the board. And when women are already in prison and they're not even given the basics of survival and everyday living, then it has to be questioned. Yeah, and it also kind of has to be questioned of what kind of society are we when we allow this kind of disparaging difference to exist between the two genders? Because... When I talk about the punishments, I'm just going to throw this out here before we move on to our next story. Um, the women in prison usually end up with more of those shot tickets that you see all the time on Orange is the New Black, statistically getting more violations than their male counterparts for less and less innocuous activity, like women can get in trouble over playing a game like Scrabble where their male counterparts won't. They spend more time per capita in solitary or isolated confinement, which has far more damaging psychological consequences when they are released from prison. So knowing everything that we know about incarcerated life and actual well-being of humans, can we say that how we treat women in United States prison is a human rights violation at this point? Oh, of course it is. It's a mirror image of society itself. If society continues to mask the shameful injustices towards women, then women's prison, I think, could be a reflection of that as well. So everything ties in in some way, shape, or form. All you got to do is follow the trail. And when you're dealing with women, not only from the fact that we just talked about, but them being mothers, uh, them being grandmothers and aunts and 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 told that they were the nurturers of their home and here they are in prison. Another psychological warfare was that the fact that, okay, not everybody was meant to be a nurturing person, and but you still have people who make mistakes who probably want to become nurturing parents, uh, can't see their children, can't see their families. And so the the mother and aspect of that, just by that example alone, has to be dealt with. Of course, I'm sure they have psychiatrists, obviously in the prisons, to deal with that. But again, as a whole, it just needs some serious investigation to be taken to a higher plane and give it more vision and more light to a very disturbing topic. Yeah, because, I mean, let's face it, before they're even in prison, if a woman's pulled over by a cop and, God forbid, she questions the cop, they will say, well, she was being hysterical. She was being a bitch. So, of course, I had to do something. And, yeah. <laughs> okay, in 2018, le legally, I don't think bitches be crazy should be a defense. Do you? No, no, of course not. And, and again, the scene goes back to, quote, unquote, stay in your place. 
all this deals with, once again, men operating this from a Neanderthal point of view. Stay in your place. Go in the kitchen and fix me something to eat. Stay barefoot and pregnant. That's how they operate. They can come out and say it because you can't say it publicly nowadays. Obviously, you met, met with pushback, but behind closed doors, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. Boy, look at us keeping them women's in lines and stuffs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, look, uh, we're going to transition here to another story because this one's kind of interesting in the fact that I think it's appropriate that we're going from a story about how terrible we treat women in incarceration in the United States to the theoretical belief that there is no God. Um, <laughs> Chris, let's talk a little bit about Stephen Hawking. Uh, he died not too long ago, didn't he? Correct. He passed away in March. Now, Stephen Hawkins was a very interesting man. He wasn't expected to live to the age that he did. He was expected to die a very, very, very long time ago, uh, thanks to the fact that he had Lou Gehrig's disease or that stuff that we all poured ice buckets over our head over, ALS. Mm -hmm. However, because of his physical condition, he always said that it allowed his mind to go places that more... More likely than not, no other human would actually let their brain go there. And he assembled, in his final writing, basically a set of answers for all of the questions that he thought would come up. And one of the questions, Chris, was, is there a God? Um, Hawkins weighed in on no. Do you agree? I agree from his perspective where he's coming from. And imagine you're in the prime of your life. You know, you're on your way to becoming one of the youngest leading uh, scientists, a celebrated physicians uh, where you are, and you're walking around university, all of a sudden, everything shuts down. You fall to the ground because your whole motor skills have stopped. Uh, they are trying to examine you at the time. At the time, they can't find any answers. You see many doctors and physicians. Uh, you have to be uh, picked up out of your bed, clothed, bathed taking care of for the rest of your life. And a situation like that, yes, a person would say there is no God. Because where is God now in my situation? Now, once again, I'm not uh, trying to uh, be disrespectful of people of faith-based communities and faith-based organizations. I'm saying from one man, uh, Dr. Hawking, who, if it was me, I would think that way. Mm. And that happened to me. And so I'm just being completely transparent. But here's a man who, like you said before, one of the most brilliant scientists of his generation, um, was not supposed to live that long, lived to age 76. Yeah. And the thing is, is that he, he brought up this whole there is no God thing because I think, look, let's just go ahead and be honest. The religious leanings of somebody at their heart of hearts is going to be always something hard to gauge. But I think mm -hmm. when... I think when he goes and says things like, hey, there is no God, I think he's doing it to kind of give people a, a model of behavior to think about, of, of saying, look, you can't go around blaming God for how others treat you or for how your life is going. You kind of have to take some responsibility for yourself. And when it comes to one of the most premier astrophysicists in the world saying, hey, maybe you might want to think about yourself and kind of mind your own business, how likely are we to take that sage advice from him? Probably, I would probably ignore most of us, 
and will probably say, you know, uh, because of what happened to him, he deserves it. You know, people go back to the fire and brimstone God of the, the Old Testament, the King James Version of the Bible, because he even said in the piece for centuries that they believed that disabled people like himself were living under a curse that was inflicted by God. He goes on to say, I prefer to think that everything can be explained another way by the laws of nature. Take God out of the equation. Then what do you have? Go back to what you said, Shaggy, about responsibility. So if God was not in the equation, then who would be responsible for your actions? You would be responsible for your actions, not God. Now, it's kind of funny that I bring this up because <clears throat> he was the chair or one of the chairs over at Cambridge University. That's in the United Kingdom. And as such, his death was pretty close to our current events. And in this publication that he's released, he's talking a little bit not only about the uh, <clears throat> the Brexit, but he's also talking about Donald Trump and how much he disagrees with these institutions. Now, is it any surprise that a man like Hawkins would not only find himself at odds with a man like Donald Trump, but also with a prime minister and an agenda like Brexit and Theresa May? It does surprise me a bit because uh, Dr. Hawking was a celebrated free thinker, obviously, and was able to, he is the classic outside-the-box thinker. If anybody was that, it was Dr. Hawking. So you would think that with that mentality, he would not subscribe to uh, Donald Trump or to Brexit or Theresa May. Why? Because there's other ways to comport this problem, to make people more unified than this association. And I believe he believed that. So, but it'll be meant by, it'll be meant by, okay, well, he didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, he had his last legs, uh, quote unquote, uh, before he passed. We know people get very cruel and mean when they say things like that, and they mean it. But I think Dr. Hawking, you got to take consideration of someone who is celebrated, critically acclaimed. If you may not agree with it, but you have to take it to heart because it does mean something. Hmm. Well, I think that his last writing should mean something to all of us, too, because much like other people that have had the foresight of knowing I'm not long for this world, Stephen Hawkins tried to answer the biggest question that anybody and everybody always ask him. And, and before we kind of surmise at what he said, Chris, I'm going to ask you, if somebody came up to you and said, what about the future? How would you answer that question? Ah, good loaded question. Thank you. Uh, I would probably say the future lies with obviously the youth and millennials and younger people behind them, and hopefully they'll get it right. This is what I mean by right. Basic principles to respect other people without going there or crossing that line. Now, again, I'm saying something that's a fantasy, but you don't have to be mean-spirited. You don't have to ride the coattails of the current administration. You don't have to be a part of something that obviously is not good for America and beyond. If you just take care of yourself and take care of others around you, you are the agent of change where you are. You don't have to be part of a big organization or even political party. It's a matter of who you are and what you are as a human being and how you define yourself. It goes back to the old adage of less is more. If you find out who you are and use it as an example, 
People will follow you. People gravitate towards you. You have decent conversation. But it all starts with that one individual. And that is the future because one individual is times that of a million people and beyond and more than that. But it starts with one person. Mm. You know, Hawkins said it's easy. Just keep your head towards the stars and keep your feet on the ground. And don't look at your feet so much as you look at the sky and we should be all right. Now, it's kind of these lofty visions that we have to set up. Ah, Before we bring it right down crashing to earth with crazy white women. Now, I brought it up this week that the National Review has now said that the term white women is a racially disparaging term. So, when we're talking about these white women, I guess we should say that their own actions kind of justify them being used disparagingly towards others. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Oh, of course. Uh, when, when you act a certain way, and it's coming from, as we see on viral videos, back to back to back to back to back to back white women, mm-hmm. then you know, it becomes uh, like one lump sum. It does. And when it comes to our latest case of white women-esque crazy behavior, I think it's time that we bring up Apartment Patty, huh? Yes, uh, please do. Please do. Okay, can I explain something, white people? Crackers, pay attention. Turn your radios up. Maybe, Maybe put down that cholesterol food, because here's something important. People of color rent and own property, too. I don't know if this is like a crazy like revelation, something that you didn't know was like possible, but it's a thing. And as such, it would seem that an actual real estate lady would know this fact, huh, Chris? Yes, you would think so. I mean, when you watch that video with um, with Hillary Brooke Muller is her name, and she goes on this. Um, thing about, you know, I don't know you, I don't feel safe, and I'm going to block you from entering this place because, you know, you're, you're, you're disturbing me. And of course, we found out, obviously, the man lives there. And I have to give him credit when credit is due. He was very calm, and and, and calm as a person can be under the circumstances. And uh, Brooke, uh, sorry, uh, Hillary Brooke Muller did follow him to his apartment all the way. Now, okay, I'm going to say something. <clears throat> Most of the time when a white woman follows you back to the apartment, it's a good thing. This one, not so much, huh? No, but and here, and I've done a couple shows on this, too, and I was looking at my other fellow talkers and talk show hosts and hostesses. So this came up in conversation. The reason why she did all this was because she wanted to, you know, hit on the, on the gentleman. Because Brandon Muller, her estranged husband, is also African-American. Oh, so she was the, I don't feel safe. Oh. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Exactly. Tear yeah, the buttons off the bodice. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it went wrong. She, if she wanted to step to him, let's call it for what it is. Everybody's grown here. If she wanted to step to him, she did it wrong. If she wanted some dark meat, she did it wrong. All she had to do was, you know, go up to him. Hey, hello, how you doing? Just like any other, oh, I dare say what, uh, human being. Hold on, I cut that off. Uh, that's me. I'm sorry about that. So yeah, it's okay. The, the, yeah, the, the human aspect or the fact of me possibly dating, what's wrong with saying hello, how you doing? My name is Hillary. Duh, you would have had a better shot. Now, I, now, now again, 
had a black woman been at an apartment when he got home, that would hold scenarios. She would have got out and cussed out uh, Hillary Brooke Muller on site. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but Chris, we've got to wrap it up here. Um, is there yeah. any hope for people of color in the United States to resume any sort of normal activities? Of course not. That's what I was afraid you were going to say. Hey, Chris, where yeah. can everybody find you online? They catch me on Facebook.com backslash Chris Bay, C-H-R-I-S, B is in broadcasting, A-S-E. If you're a hooker whore, I would not accept your friend request. I've been getting those yeah. uh, too frequently. Yeah. yeah, I know. They're called Bikini Trolls, and we learned all about them this week. Stay close because the weekend is here, and we'll be back with a whole other week next time. Till then, love you, mean it. Kate and bye.